Welcome to the Connective Health Podcast. My name is Ryan Hess. And first, I want to say thank you for joining us, both on this podcast, but also on our mission to improve healthcare by bringing together its fragmented pieces. In this episode, we will revisit the theme of how the industry is trying to force the pieces back together using value-based care. And in particular, today, we'll talk about the tools that are available to help bring the fragmented U.S. healthcare system back together to deliver better outcomes at lower cost. As usual, we're joined by experts from two different sides of the healthcare system who are going to give their perspectives. And we're really excited to be joined by Dr. Joel Diamond and Jeremy Ward. Dr. Diamond, why don't you go first? Yeah, good morning, and thank you for having me uh, today, Ryan. Uh, I'm Joel Diamond. I'm a family doctor. I've been practicing family medicine outside of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, for coming up on 35 years now, and I've been through the evolution of many iterations of how we get paid. Um, I was involved uh, in medical technology in an early way. Uh, I was an early adopter of electronic medical records back in the 90s, which has a lot to uh, speak to this concept as, as those evolved and the promises of EMRs and how they would help us um, wade through the payment system and uh, providing value and care and quality to our patients. Um, we've seen that evolve over the years. So thank you for having me today. And Jeremy, how about yourself? Thank you for having me today, Ryan and, and the connective team. So I kind of had an interesting path towards healthcare. Um, so I used to work in government operations um, for about a decade um, and then jumped straight into value-based uh, healthcare without really knowing it uh, when I started with uh, Village MD um, back in uh, 2015. Um, so what I always like to tell folks is I was an operator when I was in my government world. Um, I was sort of the boots on the ground of the, the national security work that we were doing before I got into data and technology. And so... I had the privilege of, of being in what I like to call the gimba, right? If, you, if you're familiar with lean manufacturing, lean startup terminology, right? Of being down sort of boots on the ground in the space where the work actually happens. And that led me to be able to deliver, you know, technological um, solutions, tech enablement platforms for, for the government world because I knew what the operators really needed. So when I jumped into healthcare, um, I didn't have that privilege or I wasn't a practicing provider, right? I, I wasn't a, a nurse or somebody that had actually worked in a physician's practice. And so I spent the better part of my time at, at Village MD um, in the practices, right? All while still building a, a technology solution and the foundation of a technology solution there at Village MD. And so I think that was a really important component to my career of, of, of really stepping into that space. And then after that, I went over to HCA and led their um, value-based care and technology um, team uh, for about six years. Uh, and, and so I had a, a unique position to kind of see what was out on the market um, from a, a technology solution uh, perspective um, as it relates to value-based care, uh, all while still building our own proprietary system. Um, and so one of the things that always fascinated me over in operations was the simplicity of, a, of, of the technical solution to the challenges of healthcare, right? It's not hard technically to solve these challenges, um, but then you add in the complexity of the person element. Um, and I mean, person, doctors, patients, you know, all, all components of that and suddenly becomes very complex, right? And so that's, that, that, that's where I believe, you know, spending that time in the practice was, was really important. We've got uh, somebody who's been using the tools and somebody who's been building the tools. Uh, can't wait to see. Uh, can't wait to see how these two different perspectives come forth. 
but I'd love to start with what are the key tools that you are seeing today? So what's out there today? What do you see is working? What do you see is working better than it has been before? So I think for the first question, we'll start with Dr. Diamond. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, we are making progress. And uh, I do think some of the tools to try to continually improve communications um, is really the, the key to this, whether it's communications between doctors, between doctors and hospitals and doctors and patients are, are really key. We've done a lot of work with um, patient portals, using uh, apps and things like that to get patients involved in care. Um, we do have more connectivity be with electronic medical records um, that allow information to flow better. But again, I, I, you talked about what's helpful today, and that still continues to um, be a big problem. Historically, when we started on this journey, um, insurance companies trying to share data with us to help us was a good idea, but that was mostly based on claims data. And the disparity between claims data and what I was really doing in my practice um, was significant. Unfortunately today, um, although some of that data and analytics have improved on the payer side, the translation of that to me um, is not really helpful in that. So I do get reminders from various um, payers and other organizations um, on things to help improve my quality. Um, the problem is many of those things just don't make sense. They don't reflect the reality of the patients that I'm seeing. And so they tend to get ignored. And when we start ignoring useful alerts, we tend to um, ignore alerts in, in general. Um, we do have improved pieces in the electronic medical record decision support tools to help us do reminders. Um, so it's great when a patient has a gap in care in the EMR has the ability to remind me or my staff of that. The problem again, Ryan, is that a lot of that information isn't contained in my EMR. So I don't know necessarily where those gaps in care exist or don't exist for that matter. And they become very, very onerous still for my staff and myself. And although I want to accomplish all those things, if I have a 68 year old woman who's got multiple medical problems, um, her shingles vaccine, although it's important to me, you know where the priority becomes in a very short office visit um, that she was scheduled for a follow-up, and yet she's got an exacerbation of her COPD and her diabetes is out of control, um, et cetera. And I may have hit all those diabetes quality measures as well. So when we really talk about quality of care, value-based medicine, et cetera, we still are lacking in the ability to have all the information we need at the time that we need it at the point of care. And that's where I think the discussion is probably gonna to lead to uh, today. Jeremy, what about your perspective? Yeah, I think um, Dr. Diamond, you know, hit it right on the head, right? As a practicing clinician, it, to me, um, point of care is, is really the, the challenge that I, I don't see a lot of the technologies out there today really solving. And you hear the term sort of healthcare is local, um, I think a lot of folks look at that, you know, that that term and think, okay, healthcare is local. It can mean many things. To me, local means that it needs to be at the point of care. And so when I when I look at the market from a technology standpoint and and sort of where value-based care is at today, um, it, it's saturated with technology solutions, right? The unique seat that I had in, in, in my previous employment 
allowed me to, to, to just to be able to see all of these solutions out there. And, and I'm not exaggerating that in six years, I could have probably sat half of a year each year listening to presentations from, from the technology solutions. So it's very saturated. And, and what I tend to see is that most of the solutions fall short of what Dr. Diamond is speaking about when it comes to point of care. One thing that I always remind my teams of and, and any you know, organizations that I'm, I'm assisting with their strategy from a technology enablement perspective is that a provider is never going to want to log into some other platform other than their EHR, right? And Dr. Diamond mentioned that a couple of times around how it needs to be in the EHR and, and the challenges of, of, of that have been alleviated at some level. However, again, what, what I see is most of those technologies sort of reside outside of the EHR. And so right away, you're, you're, you're sort of introducing another tool for what I always say providers to have to deal with, right? Because they already, you know, are, are challenged with, with documentation and dealing with one tool in, in an EHR. Um, and, and, and we need to move away from, you know, uh, giving them another tool to have to log into, right? So, so getting to that point of care, the, the best solutions that I see out there are ones that sort of seamlessly integrate with their workflow and, and do not introduce sort of another tool to have to deal with. Um, and Dr. Diamond mentioned too around the, the challenge of, of within the EHR when they, when they do that component well and, and delivering information that's important for value-based care, like quality gaps and, and you know, risk coding opportunities and different things in the MA space, um, they, they, they miss the mark because they don't have that disparate data that's available out in the health ecosystem, right? Everyone likes to talk about interoperability issues and it certainly is still a, a massive challenge. Um, and, and what I see is that, you know, the, the companies that do this thing well from a technology standpoint are able to access that disparate data in the most efficient and cost-effective manner. Um, traditionally, when you look at a lot of these, these tech companies in this space, um, they don't really have an efficient mechanism to, to access all of the clinical data that's out there, right? So accessing all the EHRs and the specialist EHRs and the hospital EHRs and the lab feeds. And, the, and now, you know, we're talking about wearables and other data kind of feeds coming in. The companies that are able to access that disparate data efficiently are the ones that are going to succeed in this space um, as we move forward. I think, Jeremy, you were touching on some of the things that you really want to see in Dr. Diamond. Uh, the same as well, right? I mean, it, it's you, you want to start seeing things more at the point of care. You want to start seeing things connected. So can we get, kind of explore those themes a little bit more? And, and it doesn't necessarily need to be those themes, um, but what are the kind of, what are those qualities that you think need to be present? I'll jump in, Ryan. Um, I've talked about this a lot. My EMR has probably evolved to the best it could possibly be which is as a note-taking system and a transactional system at best. Um, and sure, there are things that it can do better. Um, we've alluded to this over and over again. The real problem I have is the stuff I don't know about. And um, as a busy doctor that's trying to provide the best quality of care that I can, um, I'm often faced with the dilemma is am I going to take more time, get farther behind to chase down a piece of data that's not available to me right now? Or am I gonna do my best without that data? Which sounds like a terrible thing to do. And I alluded earlier in a sarcastic way about the shingles vaccine, but again, how much time am I gonna spend searching for a, a individual piece of information when I'm really there to take care of um, patients' uh, acute needs? 
So oftentimes, while well-meaning, those things get a lower and lower priority unless they're right there and they could be automatic. Um, so we've talked about this before. Um, in my day, the things that slow me down are a patient that I haven't seen in a while that has had a lot of stuff happen in the interim. And now all of a sudden, I need to take care of them in addition to a lot of quality pieces with that. Um, or a patient of mine that has seen lots of different um, doctors, has been to emergency rooms, urgy care, patients of mine that have been down to Florida um, for um, the winter, as an example, and received care down there. And now all this information is spread all over the place. Some of it may be in my EMR, and I didn't mention the F word, but a lot of it still is fax documents that are somewhere in a document tree for me that is unsearchable and is under categories that I may not necessarily be able to hunt down quickly. So again, this um, idea of, of trying to hunt and find information and have it available to me is really the holy grail of where I need to be to be able to provide this, to have lots of information right at my fingertips, what, right when I need it. Um, Jeremy talked about, I can't click and go somewhere, even in my EMR, even to go to the documents tree is too much work um, for me when I'm trying to care for these complex um, patients. This is easy for the young, healthy person to make sure that they, they've had their colonoscopy at age 45, talked about smoking cessation. These are normal stuff. We do it all the time. And even those are hard because the patient may have had a cologuard um, done um, through some other venue of care. And I don't have information with that, spending time um, looking at them. But th we're not talking about the easy things. We're in medicine, it's always the, the patients that have the more complex um, pieces um, with this. And that's precisely where we need some better technology, as we keep saying, at the point of care when I need it. You're highlighting that it's the, you know, it's the 10% of patients that are taking up 90% of the costs in the healthcare system. You know, those are the patients that present to you and there's an urgent issue and you need to deal with the urgent issue, but it's not presented to you. It's really hard to find. Uh, and that's, you know, if you could have some help in bringing that to the forefront in a, in a usable, actionable way, uh, sounds like that would be beneficial. And Ryan, uh, it, it's an important point. I, I'll give you a, an anecdotal example of something that happened to me just last night. I was calling a patient um, after dinner <laughs> um, because she wanted results of an MRI that I had ordered for um, her low back pain. She had severe spinal stenosis. And I was going over what options she had regarding that. And she said to me, oh, by the way, what about that fluid and thickening they saw in my uterus? And I was like, well, what, are you, what are you talking about? Because she had gotten the report um, before I did. And I was aware of the spinal stenosis, was a, 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 a really glad to talk about that. But my God, the real issue to her is that she might have endometrial cancer that needs to be worked up and probably is more of a threat to her. And that information just wasn't available to me at the time I was talking to her and probably anywhere, because again, she went to a different health system to get that information. So it's a perfect example of where we wanna to try to provide better care, but we're still siloed in terms of where some of this data exists. That is an amazing example. And I really, uh, both really appreciate you making phone calls after dinner, that is amazing patient care, but also you know, sharing, sharing an example like that, right? That is real patient care, that is a complex patient that um, you need the information at your fingertips to help treat. 
So Jeremy, from, from your perspective, what are the kind of what are the key aspects of um of what needs to change here? What are the key, you know, evolutions of the tools that need to be happening? Yeah, I think uh, you know, this is a perfect segue in in, in the anecdotal uh you know example that Dr. Diamond just provided where my belief has always been that we need to make providers' lives easier so that they can better manage their patients, right? And, and we've talked a lot about, and I think it's the perfect sort of, um, you know, uh, umbrella of what we're talking about here with, with Dr. Diamond around making their lives easier so that they can take better care of these patients. And, it, it, and when I say make the providers' lives easier, it, it also means getting them the data that they need, you know, immediately, right? That, that is a perfect example of that scenario. And, and oftentimes, you know, I've been, I don't know, maybe cast out or kind of looked at funny in boardrooms when, you know, everyone in this space is always talking about the patient, the patient, the patient, the patient, making the patient, you know, you know, healthier and all these other things. But I think we're all uh, missing a mark when we're not thinking about the providers. We have, uh, you know, it's no surprise to anyone on this call, we have a massive burnout issue in, in primary care in the United States. And we all look at primary care as, you know, they, generate, I think, what, 4%, 7% of the spend, but they're responsible for referring and managing a patient that, you know, 80% of the spend is, is happening from their desk, right, and, and where they direct the patient. So we really need to, to focus on tools that are making the provider's lives easier and giving them the information that they need so that they can spend better time and, and have those, unfortunately, after dinner phone calls with patients um, to address their care and be present in the room with them uh, w when they're in the office. So I think that's one of the, the first things I think about of kind of what needs to change um, and what I look for. I actually often don't like to answer the question of like, well, what, what should we do from a you know, technology solution standpoint? Because I want that to bubble up from, from guys like Dr. Diamond, right? And tell me, and, and I'll be the technologist that figures out how to implement it in the most efficient and, call, you know, and fastest manner. The second thing I'll say that I think needs to change is really more about just the, the, the way the market is up in general. We have value-based care and it's, and it's been around in different iterations for, for many years now. And at no point have I really seen the, the insurance companies or even CMS truly laying out the money necessary to innovate technology, right? So ACOs, uh, provider networks are, are already sort of strapped for cash, right? And so then we want to introduce some you know, the buzzword of the day, AI and all these other things. Well, those things cost a lot of money, good, bad, or indifferent. They cost a lot of money. Um, and so I think a lot of the, the technology growth in value-based care has been stunted by the fact that there aren't strong payment mechanisms for those companies to be reimbursed for their time and efforts and, and the technology that they're developing. And so I actually look to the insurance companies and, and CMS to start to innovate more and, and come up with some different payment models within value-based care to address that issue. And I know that this is certainly a chicken and an egg situation where, well, how much could we potentially change the model and invest in technology and, and what would the results look like on the back end, right? My hypothesis is if we started to invest more in, in the technology space, you would see such a massive reduction in savings and better management of the patients um, that it would pay for itself, right? And, and your ROI would be great, but again, Nobody to date, and in my opinion, has sort of been interested in taking that leap um, fully. Uh, a couple, I mean, you mentioned a couple of things in there that I just I find fascinating, and I think one of them is worth restating, which is, you know, while primary care might be four percent of spend, ninety percent of the total cost flows down from those primary care interactions. Right, they really are the quarterback, 
and healthcare and having, you know, getting them the right tools is, is just paramount. You also mentioned AI in there. So what is it you're seeing out there that, you know, that excites you? And if you do use uh, AI, what specifically about AI? Jeremy, why don't we, so we've got passion around this. Why don't we stick with you to, uh, to answer first that question? Like, what are you excited about? What do you see as really cool, exciting tools, really cool, exciting areas that are being worked? Yeah, so I think I would be remiss not to mention AI. So I mentioned earlier, we have the saturation of the, in the market for, for technology in health tech. What I'm actually starting to see, especially in the value-based care space, is, is looking at strategic partnerships to potentially cobble together or bring together multiple solutions under one sort of umbrella. And, you know, you could start a, a new co or a new company and have maybe three different companies feeding into that solution. Because what I tend to see is that a lot of the, the health technology space that I, I identify as saturated are these all-in-one solutions, right? Companies that are in the space that are trying to solve for all of the problems instead of just one specific problem, right? Or maybe two specific problems. Um, that's actually one of the, the things that I find most fascinating about connective health um, is that they are looking at sort of two distinct problems to me, right? And, and, I, and I boil it down to two. Obviously, if you looked under the hood, you know, they're, they're solving kind of multiple things, but, you know, they're getting disparate data in a very efficient way, right? So what Dr. Diamond was just mentioning about patient is a snowbird and goes to Florida, lives in Pittsburgh, and now suddenly has screenings or other things done where we don't even know that it's happened and the patient is telling us that. The solution that Connective has come up with is able to identify and find that data in, in, in an instant, right, and, and present it to to a doctor like Dr. Diamond um, in a very succinct way, right? So to me, they're solving for this disparate, you know, I don't know what's going on with my patient, and they're solving for making the provider's lives easier. They're giving them a very succinct um, summary, clinical summary of, of that patient's um, experience, rather than trying to add another tool to the provider workflow, add something else for them to log into, do care management, do telehealth, do referral management, all these other things, right? And that's what I talk about to the, to the all-in-one solutions, where they're, they're trying to solve too many things. So my approach and what I think is really sort of um, innovative, at least in this space, and it seems simple, and, and I like to use the KISS method, keep it simple, stupid, um, is just identifying strategic partnerships, finding one, two, three, four, maybe five companies to partner with, and, and build an, a solution that does address all in one, but you're actually using the, the sort of the, the, the greater intelligence of companies that are solving this one thing and a company that's solving this one thing, right? And, and bringing them all together under the same umbrella and starting to, to, to sort of aggregate that approach. That to me is sort of the, the next phase that I see as innovation. I don't see a lot of folks sort of looking at it that way um, and some of the organizations that I work with. Um, and so I'll mention that. And then the last thing I'll mention is I think figuring out, um, going back to this payment issue, right? Rather than waiting around for the insurance companies or CMS to sort of, you know, modify their approaches to how they, how they fund this work, um, I think companies in, in the technology space need to look at sort of indirect monetization, different ways to, to bring in money where um, you're able to help these provider networks and being able to offer them that solution at, a, at an affordable rate. And you're able to do that because you're finding other funding mechanisms um, that maybe don't put the burden on the ACO fully, right? So that may be getting a payer to pay for part of it, right? That may be um, putting the technology solution within an, inside of a benefit design, for example, um, at the insurance level. That to me is sort of the, where I'm seeing most of the innovations. And as a technologist, right, it, it might seem kind of 
I, I, don't, I wouldn't say it's boring to me, but right, it's not like this fancy AI and all these other things. It's actually just really, how do we run, how do we build this business, right? How do we do it in a way that's cost effective? Yeah, I like that. I mean, I think, you know, and, and listening to Dr. Diamond, right, and listening to the specific situations where he needs help, you don't want to take, yeah, this sort of works uh, and put together, put together a bundle of sort of works and call it one massive solution. So let me turn to Dr. Diamond. So what are some of the things out there that excite you? What are some of the things helping change that when a complex patient comes back from Florida? So it's hard for me to do everything that I want to do in that meeting. What are you excited about in healthcare tools today? Yeah, there are a lot of things. I'm also wary after many years, um, and especially somebody that's actively involved in technology still today, I'm still wary of technology for technology's sake. Listen, Meaningful Use put an electronic medical record in every doctor's office. We've moved away from paper. You joked earlier today, but we're still using a lot of faxes in the office today. Why? Because we still have that problem. We still have data that exists in um, natural language, and the promise of natural language processing really hasn't come about and able to get that stuff off of paper and meaningfully into my life. Part of that problem is the coding systems that we use. ICD-10 doesn't really describe adequately the, the, the problems that I see. And so trying to get me to fill gaps in care or to improve quality when I have an inadequate coding system and language and vocabulary problem is hard. So AI as a technology is interesting to me to be able to do a better job at um, gathering this information and, and presenting it to me in a narrative form, especially a generative AI process um, to help me do this, um, I think is exciting and extremely promising um, moving forward with this. We'll see. Um, I do think that tools like Connective Health, and I'm going to say this, are the kind of technology that I need. Um, I, I don't really want to see technology. I just want to see information presented to me at the point of care quickly when I need it. Um, and so a lot of these tools are well-meaning. Um, even today, I can use ChatGPT to help um, generate a note for prior authorization for my patients. I've done that. It's kind of cool. I still have to go outside my EMR to do that and then try to get that note back in, et cetera. So again, these aren't really connected, but I need more and more tools that exist within my workflow. And again, a lot of these technologies sound good, but nothing to date has really done anything to make my life quicker. And I'll be sarcastic here, despite all the advances we've seen um, along the way, I've not, as a primary care doctor, ever gotten more money at the end of the day for any of these things. My best job um, working within the HMO space just resulted in more adversarial confrontations between me and my patients, but I didn't get more money. Well, you, you ruined my opportunity to get through an entire podcast without using the F word. So I <laughs> bringing up facts. Uh, uh, you brought it up. I'm sorry. In <laughs> um, one final question, I know we didn't prep for this part, but you both mentioned money and uh, kind of your final responses. What do you think is broken? Why why is that money not flowing down to the primary care providers that are controlling, you know, that are the minority of spend, but control the majority of the spend? What do you think is inhibiting that mechanism from working? And, and maybe I'll stick with that same flow. So Jeremy, if you don't mind responding, and then you know we'll come back to Dr. Diamond. What can we, what what's inhibiting it? What can we do to unlock it? 
well, I think it's two things. I think that how to to appropriately um, assign the money that is generated to technology innovations, right? And and to these types of innovations to to continue to kind of keep moving the needle and and, and generating those savings. Um, and, and what I mean by that too is that it doesn't all go to technology, right? But my intent is that we, I'm 100% with Dr. Gunn, we need to pay providers more, right? These primary care providers. And this value-based care mechanism is a way to do that. I just think that we need to look at exactly how the funds flow, right? Within these organizations. It's, it's, it, it, to me, is that middle middleman, it's an organizational problem within these networks, right? Within these physician networks. Um, and ensuring that there is an appropriate amount of funds flowing to the primary care but also addressing and, and improving the technologies so that those funds can actually increase, right? Because now we're saving more money because we have smarter technologies. We have better point of care uh, offerings to, to folks like Dr. Diamond. And so now he's actually putting, truly putting more money in his, in his pocket by saving more money in the, in the healthcare space. Dr. Diamond, what are your thoughts in terms of what's inhibiting a practice like yours from receiving some of the dollars that have been allocated to try and bring together these efforts around value-based care? Well, I, you know, I was a bit sarcastic when I said they keep moving the, the goalpost, but the reality is that most of my colleagues, um, given the chance to be fully at risk, bring it on. The problem is I can't be fully at risk if I don't control the rules in, in the game um, with this. And that's part of the problem. Um, listen, when we first started adopting EMRs and meaningful use started taking place. My practice got a visit from a major player because the EMR increased our level of coding. And they actually said, that's bad. And I said, come on, you guys, you're going to ding me out of a couple extra dollars because I'm doing more complex coding, which actually reflects the complex care that you've asked me to do all along. So it's an example of that. I had to do a peer-to-peer -peer, um, once uh, not that long ago, a patient of mine that turned out to have a, a horrible hepatobiliary cancer. And I knew early on that's what she had. And I ordered a CT scan of her abdomen early. The insurance company denied it. And I said, I'll tell you what I'll do instead. And sarcastically, I said, I'm not going to argue with you. I'm going to refer her to one of the most um, high utilizing GI doctors that I know. And we'll see what number of tests he orders before he comes to the diagnosis of her cancer. And then we'll add up the cost afterwards as opposed to me just doing this today. Sadly, that was exactly the case. And her, and her diagnosis was delayed because of that. So these are the examples of where um, the money um, can flow better. We want to, as I said in the beginning of my rant here, bring it on. I wanna take on um, risk but just give me the tools that allow me uh, to do that. And so far, um, either I don't have the data I need or the data is presented to me in a way that's not useful to me or the intentions of providing better quality don't really meet the intentions of what I need to do for my patients today. And I think that's where um, technology used properly could really let me participate in that those at-risk contracts more effectively for which I want to do. Yeah, and I think that's the chicken and egg scenario I was alluding to early in the call, right? We, we have to make the leap on the, on the policy side too, right, to increase that spend so that Dr. Diamond feels more comfortable with the tools that he has to take that risk. Yeah, uh, I love it, right? So this is uh, it's probably a good place to, to end the podcast where there's, there's excitement. We can see the specific scenarios where we can do better. 
Dr. Diamond, uh, Jeremy, thank you for your time. Hopefully it was an enlightening conversation uh, for all of you listening. And I thank both of you and I thank all of you listening and, and helping us bring back this healthcare system, bring it back together uh, to deliver better care for the patients and to support providers as they treat those patients. Thanks, guys. Thanks, guys.